Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey guys, before we get started today, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by the Tiny Survival Guide and Card. These are two fantastic resources to keep with you at all times. And best of all, you can go over to Kickstarter right now to get yours first before they go live to the general public. Simply search Tiny Survival Guide over on kickstarter.com or click the link in the description below. People want me to build them a fortress. I can, and then you can keep anybody out. You got to prepare for the worst in case a disaster comes. You also got to plan for defending your shelter in case marauders try to take it. Now, the good news about nuclear warfare is very survivable. If you can survive the initial blast and you don't get maximum dosage of radiation, your odds of surviving are like 99%. But of course, Hollywood makes it sound like it's the end of the world, which it's not. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Survival Show podcast with David and me, Craig, and producer Ben is in the background somewhere. It's our job to take you step by step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear that you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster. And maybe more importantly, show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. So, David, what is going on? Yeah, man. So it's our mission to help you progressively increase your survival IQ so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. And coming up next, we have a special guest, and we're going to be talking survival shelters, bomb shelters, those sorts of things. And I am really excited to uh, hear what he's got to say. But before we jump in, Craig, can you tell everybody how to get the most out of this podcast? All right, guys. So listen up. This is important. If you want to get the most out of this podcast, go and subscribe to The Survival Show on patreon.com forward slash The Survival Show, or just go to any search engine and type in The Survival Show Podcast. Uh, But particularly over on Patreon, what you're going to get is show notes, tips, skills, action steps, checklist on gear, any links to gear that we talk about in the show. Uh, One of the things I just read is David's five ways to increase your survival IQ that he posted just recently. It's a fantastic document. So here's what we want you to consider. Just think about subscribing for $1 a month, $1 a month to unlock an exclusive content vault. It's got all kinds of great rewards, ways to get involved with a survival show, uh, early bird access to all kinds of cool stuff. And all you've got to do is go to patreon.com forward slash the survival show and check it out. Go sign up. Hey guys. So today we're going to be talking about disaster shelters. And we have a great guest. It's Mr. Ron Hubbard. He's the founder and owner of Atlas Survival Shelters. And they build and install a range of great shelters for mid and long term uh, survival in various different disasters from nuclear down to just basic storm shelters. And Ron's going to be helping us to understand what our needs are, 
how to work with what we have. And uh, dis- we're going to also discuss his shelters and how they can increase our likelihood of survival. So, Ron, thanks for being with us. Hey, David. Nice talking to you guys. Appreciate you having me on your show. Absolutely. If you if you don't care, Ron, would you just go ahead and give our listeners a, a bit about your background and what you do now with Atlas Survival Shelters? All right. Well, um, I've been a steel fabricator for 37 years. Um, in 2011, I started Atlas Survival Shelters um, because I wanted a bomb shelter and I just couldn't find one for myself within my budget with all the amenities that I wanted, which was an escape tunnel, a decontamination room. And it seems like nobody had that. It's just they had like a a tor- like a shipping container underground or a corrugated pipe underground with just you go straight in and it's like how are you going to keep out gases how are you going to keep out smoke how are you going to decontaminate how are you going to get out if the hatch is blocked so i guess if you want to do something right you got to do it yourself so i designed the atlas survival shelter fought for a u.s patent got a patent on it and the rest is history fantastic wow. so that's fascinating um, so it's it sounds like uh out of necessity obviously you said is very important but um, tell us a little bit more about how you're going to basically get all that stuff that is that needs to get out of the shelter out and how you keep the things that are outside from getting in when you don't want them to get in. Well, people have got to understand, and I read on my YouTube channel, I read the comments, you know, people are always like, well, all I got to do to get into your shelter is to do this or that. People don't understand that there's there's different levels of shelters. If you want me to build you a shelter that nobody can get in, we call that a fortress. Okay. I mean, <laughs> that will have 20,000 pound doors that are 12 inches thick of concrete with one inch thick steel with stainless steel. So you can't drill through it. You can't torch through it. You can't, you can't do anything. It You can't even blast through it basically. So if, if people want me to build them a fortress, I can, and then you can keep anybody out. But for, in most cases, people are, you know, the, the thing is they buy a fallout shelter and they think that a fallout shelter is a fortress, but it's not. A fallout shelter is just a shelter to keep you separated from the nuclear fallout so the alpha, beta, and gamma radiation doesn't get to you, okay? And all you need to do that is anything with uh, with the three feet underground will do the job. It will protect you from the alpha and beta, which is what's emitted after the fallout hits the ground. And then the gamma, which is kind of like the x-ray when the bomb goes off, you see people, you see their bones and stuff. It takes two foot of concrete or three foot of earth packed, and that will protect you from the gamma radiation, which is emitted as soon as the uh, the bomb goes off. It, and if you survive that, you can come out usually within, uh, you know, it depends on the, the amount of the fallout. But one thing people don't understand is the radiation decays after 28 days, 99% of the radiation has decayed. Matter of fact, after 24 hours, 90% of the radiation um, has decayed from the fallout. So if you can even just stay underground for 24 hours, you could almost leave your shelter with the right equipment and, and get out of the area and find a safe place to, 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 to live. When you say right equipment, what do you mean by the right equipment? Well, you'd have to have like a chemical suit and the gas mask and all that stuff. But um, yeah, so you know, Hollywood has done a good job of making people think that a, a nuclear bomb is the end of the world when it's anything but that. You got to keep in mind, Las Vegas has, what, 2 million people, 65 miles from where they tested like over 100 nuclear bombs, yet nobody in Las Vegas has ever been reported with radiation sickness or coming down with anything. And then, matter of fact, 
24 hours after Hiroshima bombing in Japan in World War II, uh, the power was back on and the kids were back in school. Now, yes, there was a lot of people that had the burns and the radiation sickness, but the good news about nuclear warfare is very survivable. If you can survive the initial blast and you don't get maximum dosage of radiation, your odds of surviving are like 99%. And but hmm. of course, Hollywood makes it sound like it's the end of the world, which it's not. And, and this is such a, a new topic for me. I'm I'm not really educated. That's one of the reasons I'm really excited to get you on is is to find out some information. So for somebody like me looking at something like Chernobyl, where they had some sort of meltdown. Well, that's why that's is that different. why is that place a different why is that place a wasteland compared to what we're talking about here, which is like a nuclear uh, war? Because event. when a nuclear bomb goes off, it's kind of like a bottle rocket. It goes up in the sky, it blows up, and it dissipates. And what comes down is the, the aftermath, which is the fallout, okay? And that mm -hmm. fallout just decays. It just evaporates. When you have a nuclear meltdown like Chernobyl, um, that's, nuclear, that's a nuclear leak. And that's thousands of years before that can be inhabited again. So it's two different things, but it's, okay. it's not even close. We, we would have more damage if somebody fired an EMP or caused, sent a nuke and caused an EMP and they caused nuclear power plants to melt down they would we would have more damage than that from the actual bombs hmm. yeah yeah so it's not as uh people need to study their facts now there's a there's a lot of books out there that people can buy and read up on this stuff but if you know one book that i actually study is, is written by walter mccarthy it's called the principles of protection okay and this is the u.s guide handbook on nuclear preparation and I've probably bought 20 copies and given away 15 of those copies. I hide a lot of the things in there. It said the myths and the facts about nuclear war. Like I said, Hollywood has way overdone it. If people would get this book and study it, or if you want to get your hands on one and study it one day, uh, you'll be quite shocked. And matter of fact, your fear of nuclear war will go down a lot. I make shelters and yeah, unless I get hit by a direct bomb, I'm not really so worried about it. Uh, even if I'm downwind from nuclear fallout from a from a nuclear blast, I, I know how long I need to stay underground, and I have all the radiation detecting equipment to measure the uh, amount of hmm. radiation in the air, so I know when I can come out of the shelter. Wow, that is really good. I, I have been educated, man. That is fantastic, and you're really filling a gap, I think, uh, for for all of us in this area. And thank you for dispelling some of those myths. Now, you had mentioned, Ron, that being three, you know, basically three foot under the ground takes care of the radiation and protects you from that. Now, being underground kind of closes you in. What considerations do people need? Like, can you just, can you buy a $2,000 shipping container, put it under the ground and you're, you're good to go? Or, or what things do people have really need to consider? It, it would be better than nothing, David, but I don't recommend putting shipping containers underground. The only time I ever got sued for a shelter was I, a guy had me make him a shelter out of a shipping container. He put it in the ground. He didn't pour concrete around it, which I instructed him to do. And it leaked and it got wet inside. And uh, rather than fight him in court, I just gave him his money back. But I always recommend people do not mess with shipping containers. But if it's all you can afford, it's better than nothing. Problem is you can't bear, you can't bury him very deep. And uh, the walls, start to cave in after a while and then they they're not watertight so if you're in a high water table they have a tendency to leak but they are better than nothing yeah i mean but in but in the survival community they're just so prominent and i'm uh, another good reason for you to be on and give us some of this information so we can have a better information on it 
Well, like I said, if if all I had was five thousand dollars, I would probably bury a shipping container myself. I would either right. berm it in the side of a mountain, or I would uh, I would dig down and I would reinforce it and pour concrete. But by the time you're done reinforcing it and pouring concrete, you could have bought a properly made culvert shelter and put it in underground. You see, a, a round mm-hmm. culvert is made to be buried underground. A shipping container is made to be stacked mm-hmm. up but not buried. I see. That's so a you, you won't point. you won't find anybody in the shelter industry that will recommend burying a shipping container. Now, I saw a guy on the internet a couple few years ago. I don't even know if he does it anymore, but he was trying to make a business about converting shipping containers into shelters. But a, sh- a shipping container is just a bad idea. But if it's all you can do, it's knock yourself out. It's better than nothing. Right. Now, are there some considerations, Ron, as far as ventilation when you when you I mean, if you're shutting off your air supply, I mean, do you need some sort of scrubbing filters and all that? <laughs> you just don't bury a shipping container without air pipes <laughs> out. You've got you got to modify it. You've got to have air in. You got to have air out. You've got an add. You got an add an NBC air filtration system. I, I apologize, David. Sometimes I forget that you guys already automatically know everything that goes in a shelter. But no, to do it properly, you got to have an NBC air filtration system, and that's the NBC stands for nuclear biological and chemical. Okay. Now the people who make the best ones are the Swiss or the Israelis. So most of my air systems I get from Switzerland. Um, some of them I get from Israel, but most of them come from Switzerland and they're military grade. And when I got into the industry, um, I went and I spent two weeks in Israel and two weeks in Switzerland. And I studied with the manufacturers of the NBC air filtration systems. So I wanted to learn directly from the source on what to do and not what to do, because there's not really many books out there that can tell you how to prepare. And there's no colleges teaching any courses. So you can either learn it from the few books that are the few books that mention it, or you can just go directly to the source with a long list of questions and ask them everything and everything, you know? So that's what I did. That's why I kind of designed my shelter the way I did. I, I wanted a, I wanted a, a, a hatch that was bulletproof. I wanted a hatch that could lock down from the inside and the outside. My hatch, you see people, they always say, well, what if somebody locks you from the outside? Well, I have a release pin on the inside that if they do put a padlock on my blast hatch on the outside, you release the pin and the hatch will still open. And they go, well, what if they park a car on top of you? No problem. I've got an eight ton hydraulic jack on there, which will lift 16,000 pounds. So we can just jack the car up and get enough room that you can crawl up from underneath it. Well, what if they weld you weld your hatch in? Okay, well, <laughs> okay, then I have to go through my escape tunnel. You know, so that these were the thoughts I had when I wanted a shelter and no one was doing it this way. So I had to do it myself. And after I did one, uh, it started, I put it on, a, I don't know how it made the news, but it was trending and all the news people were doing a story about it because it was the uh, December 2012 and then the doomsday preppers thing was going on. But, um, you know, it just picked up and I started a business from it. And now I make like 20 different types of shelters. I just don't make the round culvert one. I make round ones. I make square ones. I make monolithic domes. I do silos. I do poured concrete. I do basically every type of shelter that exists. That's fantastic, man. I think it's good that people understand that they have to be able to take care of themselves and something like an escape hatch where you can get out and and be able to take in the the situation is going to be fantastic. 
Hey, that's something you should mention too, Ron, while we're on the subject. How do people get to your website? I mean, we're, we'll probably cover this again, but while we're talking about it. You can just Google bomb shelters and I, I'll pop up as the, the number one organic listing. But my company is Atlas Survival Shelters, or you can just Google Atlas Bomb Shelters and I'll pop right up. I have a whole menu of shelters. I have them starting from I think the least expensive shelter we make is $6,999, which is strictly a fire shelter for uh, for property. It's not for people. The least expensive shelter I have for people that has an air system is $9,999 that's made out of quarter-inch steel. But it's an above-ground. It's, like it's like a walk-in gun safe, but it's hmm. airtight. It has a bunk beds in it, and it has an uh, uh, Israeli-made air system. And it's called... Um, it's called NATO Safe. Yeah, NATO Safe. And you just and it's handicap accessible and you just slide it into the garage and you bolt it down and you can either use it for tornadoes or for fallout. And that's what it, I designed it for because people ask me, do you have anything that I could slide in the garage? And I said, well, I don't, but let me create one. And so I did. And then people asked me, do you have anything that we could build our house on top of? I said, well, I don't. But then I created one. And so I have one that's called the safe cellar that goes underneath the house. So it's kind of like a basement. And what's cool about hmm. that one is it's got hidden stairs. So the way I illustrate it on my website, you slide back the kitchen counter and it reveals uh, some stairs. And you go down the stairs, you close the kitchen counter, and you're down into a gun room that with an airtight door. And I show it as a gun room or a wine cellar or as a bomb shelter, whatever hmm. you want. But it's a integral part of the house and you can use it for anything you want, including a man cave or a party room or a laundry room, a guest bedroom, an office, a place to go down and make choo-choo trains and play with them. You can do whatever you want. It's just like having a 200 square foot basement in the house. They're cool. Yeah. And and the good thing is I got them starting under $30,000 now. So I've convinced a lot of builders to start building these spec into the houses so the trend is starting to catch on and it, it, it caught on uh, about a year ago in japan because of north korea so i've got builders hmm. building their houses with my shelters in japan almost on every single house so it's it's kind of cool to have a secret room in your house that nobody knows yeah. about but you and your wife yeah that's good stuff that is really cool i saw a statistic that uh, there's 65 million preppers in the United States. And what they classify as a prepper, anyone who has spent up to $400 in the last year on emergency supplies. And I was surprised that 65 million Americans had spent up to $400 on preparedness in the last year. Hmm, and the other thing that didn't shock me, because I understand this now, that the majority of them were women. You know, more women buy shelters from me than men, David. Isn't that crazy? That is really interesting. Yeah. Women have that mother bear effect. They want to protect their family and that's kind of their job. They take care of the family. So in hindsight, it makes sense. Yeah. So we wouldn't have hospitals or schools or bomb shelters if it wasn't for the women. Give us like 30 seconds of some of the things when you're in a typical shelter, what what takes a little bit of physical strength to manipulate? Well, if you lose your power... Okay, let's say it goes dark. You're, you may be hauling around some heavy batteries. You're going to manually have to operate the NBC air filtration system. They, all the air systems I use have a manual crank backup. So if you lose power, you can manually crank it. And you would have to do that for hours at a time. Now, the good thing is I have pictures and videos of six-year-old girls doing it with one arm. So the air systems that I have put in my shelters is why I selected the Swiss air systems. 
a six-year-old girl can operate them with one arm. It's that easy to operate. So it's not physically demanding, but, you know, but there are times where, you know, you may have to move the air, the uh, air filter and it weighs 60 pounds and, you know, you may have to try to get a door pried open or something. You know, there's just, there's just certain things that it doesn't hurt to be strong in life, you know? Right. Um, I I would much rather be stronger than weaker, you know? Yep. But, um, you got to prepare for the worst in case a disaster comes. You also got to plan for defending your shelter in case marauders try to take it. Now, people ask me, do you really think this is ever going to happen where people need your shelter? And I always answer, God, I hope not. You know, that would, mm-hmm. if that happens, that means that is the end of the world as we know it. And there will not be probably Sunday night football or, <laughs> or Friday night football games at your high school. I mean, that means the world has changed. And, um, I, I I dread that day, but do I believe it will happen one day? Yeah, I, ha- I believe it will happen one day. I just don't want it to happen in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. But if it does, I can honestly say that I am a prepared individual. Hey, this is the perfect time to tell you briefly about our sponsor today, which is the Tiny Survival Card and Tiny Survival Guide. They are small enough to fit in your wallet or purse glove box, or any small area that you need one. The Tiny Survival Guide is incredibly well thought out and jam-packed resources full of information. The Tiny Survival Card is made from 0.025 inch thick 302 stainless steel and has a knife and other hard-to-improvise tools. We wanted a guide that would serve two purposes. Number one, was to give you a resource to help you prepare before an event occurs. The Tiny Survival Guide does exactly that. Read it and determine what gaps you have in your disaster readiness and start fixing those gaps now. Secondly, we wanted something that would serve to help you in disaster that was easy and small enough to carry anywhere. The Tiny Guide is small enough to fit in your wallet, in a glove box, your pack, or anywhere you might have need to reference survival information. Go over to Kickstarter right now to get yours first before they go live to the general public. Simply search Tiny Survival Guide over on kickstarter.com or click the link in the description below. All right, let's get back into this podcast. So Ron, you have all kinds of shelters and we've talked about this a bit, but can you talk about shelters for natural disasters like tornadoes? And fire, and I think you mentioned that maybe your most common shelters are fire shelters. Well, yeah, I, I also make tornado shelters and I make fire shelters. And right now I am in California. I do have a factory in Texas as well, but I'm in California trying to address the California wildfires. Now the fires are over, uh, but the planning to rebuild, you know, 14,000 houses just from this last fire is beginning. But you got to understand Last season, we lost 3,000 houses. And then the year before that, we lost 10,000 houses. So this makes 27,000 houses in roughly in the last 26 months. So there's a lot of construction going on just to rebuild the houses. So my my task at hand right now is trying to re-educate the mind of the people to think more like the people of Israel or Switzerland. So when they rebuild that house, they have a safe space spot in the house, you know, and with all these massive shootings and the world's just changing, you know, I mean, I just can't understand why somebody would build a house, build a house and not have a safe room of say 80 to a hundred square feet 
hidden behind the walls, you know, where nobody knows about it, why they would build a house and not have that. I just don't get it. And a lot of people are doing that. They're building their safe rooms, but a lot of them just haven't thought about it. But I am trying to change the minds of America and get the builders to put these shelters in underneath the house. And the way I was able to do that, and I am doing that, I had to make them affordable enough to where it wasn't breaking the budget on building a house. You got to keep in mind mm-hmm. that the average house in California is over a million dollars, where the average house in Texas is probably $200,000. So $30,000, $35,000 on a $200,000 house is a 15 to 20% increase where $30,000, dollars on a million-dollar house in California is maybe three, four percent of the house budget mm-hmm. to have the additional square footage of the safe room. So it's much easier for me to convince people in a high end market or where property values are higher to do this because they look at it as a drop in the bucket where places where you have lower real estate prices is like, wow, that's really expensive, but it is really not expensive. And and it's paying for itself. That's why I'm saying I'm I'm trying not to get people to think that you just buy a bunker, it sits there and it rots and you never use it. I'm getting people to get the shelter, use it as a part of their lives, and then it just so happens to be a safety room as well. Yeah, I like I like that idea because um, a lot of people are interested in setting up a cabin or what have you, but they have this option to be able to use a bunker instead. That's that's fantastic thought. I hadn't considered it that way. That's really good. That's really amazing. Now, Ron, do you do safe rooms also? Well, my shelters are safe rooms. When you add the air system, the only difference between a safe room and a fallout shelter is the air system. A safe room typically doesn't have an NBC air filtration system and a fallout shelter does. So if you pull out the air system, it's a safe room. So yes, the answer, the answer is yes. So can you, maybe you and Craig can kick in on this together. I'm not sure who wants to take it, but can you just some I like to define our terms for people. Uh, there's probably some people listening right now that don't know what a safe room is or what it's for. There's different types of safe rooms. There's safe rooms that are just hidden behind a wall where you move a you move a, a piece of artificial furniture that looks like a cabinet and you go behind there and that could be a safe room where no one will find you. But there's people who want bulletproof safe rooms or certain ballistics ratings for their house. And so they put in bulletproof glass, they put in bulletproof uh, drywall. So uh, there's different classifications. So any safe room that I do is classified as a bulletproof safe room. I don't, you know, you could have your home builder put in that secret room that's behind the framing of the house that's, you know, 25, 30, 40 square feet where you've got a a cabinet that pushes back and it opens up or pushes in and you just into a little storage room like a like um like an attic you can turn your attic into a safe room i don't do that because that's just something the builder can do when i make a safe room it's pre-manufactured out of steel it's ar 500 or 500 550 steel it's bulletproof it has an airtight door as an air system inside there so you can breathe and you can survive fallout even above ground so those are the kind of safe rooms that i make so a builder that's building a home they're going to uh, work with a homeowner and they're going to, they're going to have this room that basically comes to them on a truck and then they just sit it down in there. Is am I looking at this properly? The, there's two types of safe rooms. I do below, below the slab or I do above the slab. Okay. So the, the, the safe room that we do above the ground is called NATO safe. 
Okay, like a safe. It's called NATO safe. NATO stands for tornado and safe for safe room. So the safe room we do that's above ground that you would actually frame your house around that's an above ground. It's airtight. It's armor plate. It's made of steel. And then it has to have air pipes that come out into the attic. Okay, Uh, and those start around. Those are inexpensive. Those are like for a family of four. They're about fifteen to sixteen thousand dollars. They're not that expensive. Uh, and people who live in like Dallas and Oklahoma, they like those for a few reasons. One, most people in Oklahoma and Texas are gun collectors or hunters. So they got a place to put their guns. Number two, they're in Tornado Alley. So they got a tornado shelter. And three, they look at it this way. You know what? What the hell? Might as well have a shelter that can survive fallout too. So they go for the the grand slam, you know, gun room, tornadoes and fallout. And they put them above ground. Now for the hard, more hard person um, or somebody in a wildfire area, you can't have really an above ground fire room. There are some concrete ones, but I don't do those, those particular ones. I like to do everything underground because the best protection from a wildfire is going to be earth. It will just protect you from, from the heat and from the radiant heat. Uh, and so we'll, we'll build the shelter and we'll put it in the concrete slab before they build the house. So right now, the reason I'm spending all my time in California, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with builders and homeowners and they're re they're drawing up their plans to rebuild their house that just burnt down. And they're drawing in one of my safe sellers to go underneath the house. And what their, their biggest, their biggest decision is what room they want the entrance to be in. So some people, I'm noticing a lot of people are putting the entrance in the closets So because they don't have the kind of kitchen counter that can slide back. So they're putting the, the staircase in the master bedroom closet. And so you go in the master bedroom closet, you have a lid that opens up, you go down the stairs, you open an airtight door, and you're into your safe room. Now, we just did the drawing for one that's so cool. We, we did it for the people. I said, go ahead and do it. But it's completely, they're using it as a closet for shoes and designer bags and designer shoes and fur coats. But I always tell them, hey, listen, if the tidal surge comes in, do not be in the shelter. Okay, the one thing my shelters do not protect you from is floods. So you don't want to be caught in a shelter during a flood because you will probably drown or 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 get suffocated. One of the two. That brings up a you know one of the biggest things that I have to deal with here in Kentucky is tornadoes, which we've covered that really well. But one of the things that gets overlooked here uh, that I'm sure you have to deal with in California is earthquakes. So how well do these things handle? you know, earthquakes and, and stuff of that nature are a huge disruption to the earth. Well, the way they're designed, they have a exoskeleton that gives them structural reinforcement and they're very small. So I haven't actually had one go through an earthquake yet because since I started the company, we haven't had an earthquake here in California. Uh, none of any size. I don't matter of fact, the last time they've had a big earthquake in California, I guess was Northridge back in 1990 or something like that. And, um, uh, but no, the shelters would survive fine in an earthquake. They have enough protection around them. Not only that, the shelters, when we put them under the house, they have two foot of concrete over the roof and 12 inches of concrete on the walls on the sides. An earthquake's not going to hurt them. Wildfire's not going to hurt them. Would they survive a direct blast from a nuclear bomb? Hell no. Nothing would survive a direct blast from a nuclear bomb. People always say, well, I, I don't think that would survive a, a bomb. Well, you know what? Um, 
Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado is under 911 feet or 914 feet of granite. And they even said a direct hit on Cheyenne Mountain would evaporate the mountain. So there is no man-made shelter on Earth that could survive some of the nuclear bombs that are out there now that the Russians possess. These 100 megaton bombs, I mean, you can almost wipe out I mean, good God, you could wipe out literally all of Los Angeles with one of those bombs. So, and there would be a crater so big that, uh, you know, well, it depends on if it's an air burst or a ground burst. If it's an air burst, it would go off about one to two miles in the air and uh, it won't have much, it won't leave any craters. But if it's a ground burst, it would leave a crater probably a half mile deep, you know. So it really, there's so many things that you, you got to keep in consideration. The size of the bomb, the type of the bomb, the altitude of the bomb. Is it a ground burst? Is it an air burst? You know, the megatons, is it kilotons? You know, so there's not just one answer for anything. But, you know, there is a standard of protection you can do. You can have food, you can have water, you can do your best to prepare for the worst. And if it's beyond that, at least you did your best. You know, that's, that's what everyone should consider. Yeah. And just, just for my clarity, um, uh, here in Kentucky, we have, a uh, really close to me within 30 miles of where I'm talking to you from right now. Uh, there's an old set of bunkers that holds mustard gas and they, it's one of two places in the country where they're going to build an incineration plant. And, um, well, you know, there's a lot of concern about it locally, obviously. Um, just, I guess for me more than anything, and I'm sure there's other listeners, I know people that are close to what I do are very interested in this subject is what's the difference in like a a mustard gas or any other chemical and, and how do these scrubbers and stuff work uh, that you've got in place to help those kind of problems if they were to occur? I'm not a complete expert on all the types of gases that are out there, but the, the mustard gas would fall into the, the chemicals, okay, on the air system, nuclear biological chemical. It would fall into the chemical category. The, the size of the gas is measured in microns and the amount that the filter will handle of the gases. But I actually am not an expert on mustard gas, more of the radiation and the biological, because I'm more worried. I'm not too, I've actually, most of the people I sell bunkers for, believe it or not, I don't think I've had really anybody worried about the chemical aspects, but the biological, you got to keep in mind, it has been over a hundred years since the earth has experienced a plague. Okay, now the last plague was right after World War II in 1918. So it's been exactly 100 years since we had a plague. But that plague killed more people than the actual war killed. So I always worry about what would happen if an airborne plague came sweeping in from overseas, you know? And it's it's like a big, giant group of bees flying through the air. And you know they're coming, and you gotta hide, but where are you gonna hide? So the answer is, if you don't have anywhere to go, you can't escape that biological attack. But if you go down in your shelter, the shelter is like a giant gas mask instead of on your faces for your entire family and your body. You could go down into that shelter and you could wait for that biological attack or whatever it may be to pass over. And this is one of the things that I I don't ever hear people talk about it, but there's more, we have more odds of a of an outbreak of a plague or something biological happening in the upcoming years than I think of a nuclear attack from any foe. See, the Israelis are not so worried about a nuclear attack 
as they are biological and chemical attacks. Because the Palestinians, if they could get their hands on it, they would use them. So most of the air systems and all the apartments there, matter of fact, every single apartment that I went into, and they built about 40,000 apartments a year in Israel. And when I went into these apartments, when I was studying, every single apartment, doesn't matter what floor the high rise are in, because all the apartments go up in the sky. I mean, they're building... I, I studied it. I went to Dubai and I did a bunch of work in Dubai and the, uh, the uh, United Arab Emirates military flew me over to talk to me about doing bunkers in Abu Dhabi. So I went over there and outside of Dubai, I have never seen so many buildings being built in my life as I have in Israel. There are skyscrapers and those cranes everywhere. I mean, Dubai, I mean, must have had a thousand of them, but I'm telling you, Israel had probably 500. It was crazy. But when I went up in these apartments, they designate one room in every apartment. And I'm going to say the room is eight feet by eight feet. And it has these shutters on the window. If there's a window to that room, and there usually is, it has a shutter that you close and the shutters out of one inch thick steel. And then you have a door that will have a sweep on it that closes air type. And they, they have this little air filtration system that's mounted to the wall. And everybody by law must have a room with this air system. So I adopted that air system from Israel for my NATO safe shelters. So the exact same air system that's in my shelter is the same one that they put in every apartment in Israel. And they install those things literally every single day, about 40,000 a year. That's how fast Israel's growing. That is fascinating. That's amazing. So I think you brought us to a really good point, Ron. Can you talk to us? So the average person listening right now, I think I know that my interest is heightened here to to really shore up and have some sort of a safe room or, or sh- shelter area here, which I really don't have. I've got a, a, a decent basement, but that's all I have right now. A lot of people don't even have that. Can you share with us some action steps, maybe some tips to uh, take the average person from where they're at now to becoming more safe? If I lived up north where half the country does, and I had a house, and almost all the houses up there have basements, and if it was me, now I don't have a basement because I my house is in Texas, and we don't have basements in Texas, but I have a house in Canada and I have a basement. I wouldn't just buy a shelter and let it sit there. But if I was you and I had a basement, I would probably buy center blocks. Now, there's an old video from the 1960s, and I forget what it's called, but it's kind of like Harvey builds a bomb shelter. And it shows a guy that has a basement and he's bringing in these cinder blocks and he's building a fallout shelter down in his basement. So if you have a basement that's just hollow, okay, I mean, where there's an area, nothing going on, I would build me a cinder block, a cinder block room about as big as I could make it, you know, at least 80 to 100 square feet. Um, I would put on an airtight door because that's the key to being airtight. You just can't have a door. You got to keep out the gases. Okay, so you got to get a door that you can at least seal it off and make it airtight. I would put in an air system. I would run the piping through the wall of the basement and out up into the yard. And I would have my fallout shelter in the basement of my house. Now, I would also make that door 
to where somebody's not going to break into it. So I would make sure I could lock it. And then I would go ahead and convert that particular room into my gun room. I would have fun with it. I would put all these supplies I'm looking at right now in my cache. I would leave everything down there and I would start my hoard in the basement of my house. You've got to have a roof of ceiling over it because the floor... The floor of the house is porous, so the gases would come right through it, and it wouldn't help you from the gamma radiation. Um, I would try to at least get maybe 12 inches of concrete over the roof of that shelter. That would protect you from gamma radiation. Um, and then the house will serve as a barrier as well. And you, you've already got a foundation up there, so you've got, what, four inches or five inches or six inches of concrete foundation. So it, the... the um, the, the rules say that you need two foot of concrete to protect you from 99% of the gamma radiation. So make that ceiling, the roof over your head, as thick as possible. But you can count everything. You can consider everything that you have, the thickness of the, the, the roof, the thickness of the walls, the ceilings, the concrete slab. And you can add that up. If that adds up to 24 inches of protection, you've got enough to protect you from the gamma radiation. If you're not worried about a nearby blast in the gamma radiation, then don't worry about the thickness of the concrete above you. Just worry about making it to where you can lock it and making it airtight and getting in uh, a small NBC air filtration system, which you can buy for about $4,000. And you could build that little room I just described to you for about 2000 And you could buy an airtight door from me. I, I have airtight doors that start about $2,500. So you could buy, let's add that up, air system, $4,000, um, door, $6,500. So for under $10,000, you could build yourself your own little fallout shelter in the basement of your house. That is fantastic stuff, Ron. That is, that's really, really helpful. So one, two, three, lightning round. Give us uh, one, two, three, or four action steps people can do right now. Well, of course, they need survival supplies. They need a way to purify water, water, shelter. They need to um, get their freeze-dried food picked out. And they need that. One thing I, I always do is some of the survival food doesn't taste good. You better find a survival food that you can live on. Um, I'm not going to throw out any names, but there's good foods and there's bad tasting foods out there. But I would say, suggest getting all the different types of food, finding one that you enjoy. One that I literally I'll just drop one. One that I literally snack on every week is Mountain House. I mean, it costs the most, but you know what Mountain House tastes like. It tastes like mom's cooking. So you better find a food that you like. Make sure you've got, like I said, you got your water, way to purify water. You've got your water storage. You got your self-protection and you have a plan. So you either gonna have to decide whether to bug out or bug in. In my case, I have a plan for both. If I get caught in Los Angeles, I have my cache here. But I also have my prepper community, which is uh, 167 miles from where I'm sitting right now. So I have a plan. I have a bike because I figure the highways are going to be clogged up with traffic. So I have a bike so I can pedal out with my 72-hour bag. And then when I get 35 miles away, there's a town called, um, there, well, there's just a town there. I don't want to give away where my cache is at. But um, <laughs> I, have my ca I have my first cache buried there. Okay. So if I can make it to that cache, I got, I can resupply. Uh, then I make it through Mojave desert and I get out to where I turn and go to the next area. And I got my second cache. And then from that cache, I know I'm going to hit the river soon and I can get water. And then I hit the Canyon and I can get to my prepper community. So I've allowed myself 
three days by bicycle or three to four days by bicycle to get to my proper community because that's my bug out plan. If I am in Texas, I have my bunker on my brother's ranch. And if I get caught here in Los Angeles and I can't get out of LA, whatever, I've got all my supplies here. So Ron, that was really good. What I picked up from that, Craig, is a disaster plan in podcast three. We actually talked about a disaster plan checklist. Ron, you really did a fantastic job of of honing in on on some steps people can take there. Uh, I heard transportation, supplies, plan, 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 have your cash, have your skills. Anything else to add there, Craig? No, man, I, I think Ron has done a fantastic job of being able to to take what we've talked about in these last couple of podcasts and, and give it some legs. I mean, he's he's living proof of how to go about doing these plans and putting them together. So yeah. Survival's my middle name, you know, so I, I have to live it every single day. It's what I do for a living, but uh, I, I didn't, I don't know if I, I would think there's more people like me, or I hope there's more people like me out there that kind of live this stuff, but you know, it's, it's what I do for a living. I mean, people call me every 30 minutes wanting to know how to bug out and hide. And I have to create a scenario for them and ask them questions like, you know, how much land do you have? Where do you live? What's your plan? What's your budget? How old are you? What's your physical capability? You know, I, we didn't even go into things like I, I keep a scale on my table. People need to know how much they can physically carry. You know, if you're in, if you're 22 years old and you're in the military, you can probably hump out of there 50, 60 pounds. But if you're 60 years old, your maximum capacity to probably carry is between 25 and 30 pounds you know, and, and do a long distance. So people realize, and when you start to go up a slight incline in a hill and you got 25, 30 pounds on your back, you can't make it, you know, it's really tough. And that's the thing. If you are out of shape, you are not going to survive. Uh, you have got to get your ass into a gym and you've got to get in shape. If you really think something's going to happen and you are out of shape, you will die really quick because you will not even be able to get your butt into a safe zone. And uh, that's why I literally go to the gym every single day and work out. Now, I haven't been doing it the last two months because I've been hunting. But normally, I go to the gym every single day, and I try to keep myself in physical shape. So if I have to get to my property 167 miles away from here, I have the stamina to last three to four days of travel. Uh, I, I can carry the food. I can carry the water. I can carry the physical pr- the protection. I can carry my shotgun, my pistol, my knives, and whatever I need. And I don't need fishing gear. So, you know, that's another thing is people are laying out their bug out bag. Don't pack stuff you don't need. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're not going to be going near water, why do you need fishing equipment? If you're not going to uh, be setting snares for raccoons or coyotes or possums, why are you carrying snares, you know? Uh, so you need to pack that. There's not a single bug out bag for anybody. You got to plan that bag out bag for that route where you're going to go. And everybody needs to know where they're going to go or they're screwed. So I know exactly where I'm going and I've set caches along the trail so I can get uh, my first goal is to get to my first cache and resupply. Then my second goal is to get my to my second cache and resupply. Then from then, my third goal is to get to the community. Okay. And then I'm home free. 
So I have a plan and I practice my plan. And almost every Sunday, I execute my plan. I will go to my property. I, I mark down how many miles it is from this point to that point. I keep a chart. So when I'm on my bike and I'm pedaling, I know that I got 6.5 miles before I can get to the next lake where there's some water and I could get some water or something like that. But you've got to, you just don't like one day say, okay, I'm going to head out for this place. You know, you got to practice it, you know, you know, that's, you gotta, you gotta live what you live and breathe it, you know, which is extreme for a lot of people, but it's what I do for a living. So I have to, I have to be prepared. Ron, this is all fantastic. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing. And I want to invite you back again sometime. I, I think there's, there's a lot more we, we can all gain from you. You're welcome. Anytime guys. So everybody, I hope you got a lot out of our discussion with Ron. He's just, as you can tell, he's completely full of information. We, we glad he emptied some of that information out on us today. So, uh, make sure that you share this podcast with everybody. Ron, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day. I know you're very busy to hang out and chat with me and David. Okay guys. So that's going to be it for today. I want to encourage you guys to get the show notes at the survival show.com. So Craig, Take us out, my friend. All right, my friend. So subscribe to the podcast, everybody, now, like right now. <laughs> Go hit the subscribe button. Uh, I can't tell you how much that means to us, not just to make my heart feel good, but as far as continuing this podcast, which obviously we're putting a lot of effort into it and a lot of people are liking it, uh, it helps us if you subscribe. So do that for us. And when you get an opportunity to download the different podcasts than do so because those downloads are vital to our continuing what we're doing. So do that for us. It costs nothing. You all, it costs nothing to do that. So please do that for us. And obviously if you enjoy the podcast and, and share it with everybody, you know, on social media, share it with your friends and go over to iTunes. If you're on iTunes and give us a five-star rating or Google play, wherever it might be that you're listening to us. I, I, I do a lot of stuff on Spotify. So just give us a five-star rating if you feel comfortable doing that. And look in the description to grab your copy of the show notes. Again, uh, David does an excellent job of those, and I'm really appreciative because that is fantastic. Uh, that's going to include all the tips and tactics, the links and everything that we discussed today, the books that we discussed today, and uh, any number of things that are going to go along with the show. And that is it, you guys. So always, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. <laughs>